when I get myself in a thinking spiral and I, I'm trying to conceptualize God, I just have to sit back and throw my hands up metaphorically and say, as you do, God is God and we are not. Um, and God is good. And you can add on to that. God is love. But God is God and we are not. And sometimes I just have to resign, uh, resign back to that. It's, it's, a, it's a comforting quote. I like it. Throw my hands up. Play my song. I, I don't play it to the tune of that song in my head, but I might next time. That's just what I had imagined when you said that you threw your hands up. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for checking out week two of our sermon follow-up podcast as we go through our series, Four by Grace. Thanks again to Todd for being with me and having a conversation about Ephesians chapter 3 and this week's sermon. Some things to let you know just before we jump in. Um, Unfortunately, the whole sermon was not recorded this week, so only about the last six minutes um, is available to listen to. It was just a technical malfunction and it has been resolved, but we are sad about that. But the last six minutes of the sermon is kind of where I tied everything up together and it'll be at the end of this podcast. And so if you listen to this episode, whenever Todd and I finish our conversation, you can listen to the last six minutes of the sermon. Or if you just want to fast forward, if you don't want to hear Todd and I talk about these things, just go ahead and jump to the last six minutes. Something else I want to let you know about is um, beginning in August, I've just felt the Lord kind of speaking in my life, a need for prayer and a specific kind of prayer called centering prayer, which is a way to open ourselves up to the possibilities of God in our lives. And it's a form of meditation and praying that um, invites us to be still and in the busyness of life and the kind of chaos of summer in a way. You know, summer's relaxing in some ways, but also um, we're out of our routine. We're out of our normal sense of self. And so uh, with that in mind, I'm going to begin on August 1st, 40 Days of Praying um, in this way of centering prayer. And there's a book called 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God, and it's available on Hoopla which is an app you can get in the iTunes app store. Um, And it is basically, if you have a public library card, you can get books for free through here. And I will put a link to this book in the description of the podcast. But I'm going to begin this on August 1st, and I invite you to to join me in that. And if we do that, if we start on August 1st, then it will finish the um, basically the weekend after Labor Day, right before we kick off all of our fall events at the church. And so I invite you to consider maybe doing that with me as we try to um, grow closer to God in this journey. And think about the ways in which that we can imagine God, um, or, or really, as the podcast will tell you, the ways in which God exists beyond our imagining. So thanks for checking it out, um, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation that Todd and I had this week. <laughs> however, however long that is. We're trying for, we're shooting for 30 minutes, so we'll see. So your theme was Cosmic Christ. I don't know if you said that already, but a very uh, what I just shared with Woods as we got started I'm a organized person by nature. So I go back, uh, I try to reread last week's chapter of Ephesians, this week's chapter took me forever. I'm trying to organize my thoughts. And uh, right as I'm done and realizing that I'm failing miserably at organizing my thoughts, the irony hits me of the, the whole theme for this week is a cosmic and unknowable, unfathomable uh, Christ, love of, of Christ that he shows us. And I just have to laugh at myself. And so the the topic this week is is pretty fascinating, can be pretty life-giving um, scripture that we'll get into, uh, but also not 
not in my day-to-day work um, of just staying inside the box in scripture. And as I was preparing, I was trying to put the sermon and God in a box and I, I could not, which is, <laughs> which is the whole point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a funny paradox, isn't it? When we think about God, there is the ordering of God that God does um, in various portions of the Bible. In creation, for example, when God um, says there's the chaos and God brings order out of the chaos. That's a big theme in the Old Testament, the ordering God. Yet also, though our God created systems like the solar system and the human body is a system. There is such an unknowability to God that our propensity as humans to try to rationalize God into our preconceived systems is so limited that it doesn't do justice to who God is. And so in that aspect, there is no box or system that we can confine God to, even at the same time acknowledging that God is the God of order and systems, which is, like I said, a paradox. One thing that we did not talk about before this, but as I read the beginning of chapter three, um, my Bible, I brought a different one this time. I believe this is an English standard version okay. um, instead of the Holman Christian. Uh, That's not that we're denigrating any. No, no. Okay. We, we talked about uh, translations last time just, yeah, just for, for the nature of uh, the conversation. The beginning of chapter three talks a lot about mystery. And you mentioned that in the in the sermon. I, once I read through what the author's talking about in the mysteries that he's perceived, the mystery to me was what he is describing as mystery was more tangible than the prayer, um, which my Bible uh, categorizes as a, the prayer for spiritual strength. I don't know if that's a universal title for Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21. That's what the sermon was all about. Um, this very concise uh, prayer and that's just so powerful. He talks about the mystery, but it seemed, he seems to really just describe what he described in Ephesians 2 about the aspect of a universal church, Gentile versus Jew previously, and he kind of calls that some of the mystery. Am I way off on how I read that? Yeah, no. He's saying in the beginning of chapter 3, mystery is made known to me that was unknown to humankind, and he, or unknown to generations before in humankind. And um, he's saying it's been made known to him, but he's not saying it's exclusive. Like he's the only uh, he has the the market corner market cornered on mystery. However, he's saying in the revelation that happened to him where he experienced Christ and the fullness of it, he was opened to the idea and now knows that there's a unity that happens because of Christ where all people are reconciled to God through Jesus. And in that that mystery is that it is not just for a specific group, which has been the the main thought of Judaism, is that it's just for the Israelites. It's just for the Israelites. Um, but as you pointed out, we didn't talk about this last week in the podcast, but afterwards, I was like, man, I wish I had mentioned it, that there is in the Abrahamic covenant and the promise that Abraham and his family were supposed to be a blessing to all the nations, yet oftentimes they were insular. And so Jesus came to make what is insular inclusive to all people, that all people get to have that love. And so that is part of the mystery is that God's love is not just for a select few, but it's for everybody. And that mystery was made known to him through revelation that was not previously accessible to him or anybody else because it had to be done in and through Jesus. That was the one mystery, what you're describing, that 
it's almost the one mystery I could wrap my head around. I can see how the mystery got lost in our in our flawed humanity of, of God had this intended for us in Abraham's covenant, and then we lost it along the way. So um, I almost thought that was ironic, too. I was like, oh, I think I actually can wrap my head around the mystery. But then this prayer about the unknowable, unlimiting God is the part that really just makes you sit back and go, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that opens it up to the fact that you might be able to wrap your head around some of it because God's revealed it to us. Yet there's such a depth. There is no limit to the depth and breadth and height and and length of God and God's love. So you titled the sermon Cosmic Christ, uh, and you told me beforehand that your inspiration was a podcast that you've heard with Richard Rohr in it, who I'll admit, maybe you can educate me on who that is quickly and the audience. Uh, but he had some more thoughts on the cosmic Christ, the implications of that and how it relates to this prayer in Ephesians. Yeah, I, um, I'm a big Richard Rohr fan and he, uh, he talks a lot about uh, mysticism and he's a Catholic friar. And he's working in New Mexico. He, he founded a group in New Mexico um, that works on you know justice and peace. And but more importantly, or not more importantly, but one of the things he talks about the most is the contemplative mind. This um, he, he is heavy on centering prayer and being able to open ourselves up to possibilities of God that are beyond our reasoning and rationality, which is why that was such a heavy emphasis in my sermon, because I've read some of his books, but just listening to the podcast that he did last week, it just reminded me of that aspect of our, of our lives, of our Christian lives and journeys is that we should not always just be petitioning God and saying, I need this. I need that. Please give me this. Please do this. Please do that. Because then that's limiting God's ability. And the thing God wants to do to the things that we can imagine or the things that we want. Yet there's so much more that God can do. And God wants to do this beyond our imagining and our knowing. And so this contemplative mind that Roar really tries to, to um, talk about and tries to perpetuate, is a way for humans, um, for us, to try to put ourselves in a place that is open to the possibilities of God. Not that we're trying to create them, not that we're trying to um, say they have to be a certain way, but that we just open ourselves to, to the recognition that God is unknowable, yet that there are things that God wants to reveal to us that when we are limited by our own preconceptions, we will miss and so we need to create this space, this atmosphere, this way of thinking that is beyond what we currently know and do. That is a powerful and sometimes challenging thought. If It won't be in the last six minutes, but Wood's personal story from the sermon was about some different worship styles in both Cuba and Brazil that he experienced that at the time we thought, what is going on here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was guilty just this past week. Christina, my wife, told me a secondhand story that she had heard about some other people's powerful faith experience on a mission trip in Africa. And I was guilty of the same um, box God. Dismissal. That, yep. Yeah. I was like, what? and then I was like, I, I was silent God, for God a while. Wouldn't do that. Yeah. God wouldn't and then do I that. thought, that is very silly of me. Um, I don't remember who it was, but it, it very likely could have been even after the sermon and I missed the whole point. Right. Um, but I did go back and say, that is challenging for me to accept. But as, as you said, you've said this before, and maybe you can give, I don't know if you invented the quote or you can give someone else credit. Uh, I go back to this quote because it's simple and easy to remember. 
when I get myself in a thinking spiral and I, I'm trying to conceptualize God, I just have to sit back and throw my hands up metaphorically and say, as you do, God is God and we are not. Um, and God is good. And you can add on to that. God is love, but God is God and we are not. And sometimes I just have to resign, uh, resign back to that. It's, it's a, it's a comforting quote. I like it. Throw my hands up. Play my song. I, I don't play it to the tune of that song in my head, but I might next time. That's just what I had imagined when you said that you threw your hands up and then say, God is. Yeah, no, I can't. I don't, I don't remember when I started saying that. I, I don't think I got it from anywhere else, but it's not like I'm the only person to ever say that. But I, that is a phrase I have to remind myself of because I make myself God a lot. I mean, I, we all do. I mean, the whole idea of um, idolatry is, is about putting other things before God. And I don't think there's anything we ever put before God more so than ourselves, our own desires, our own needs, our own ideas, our own rightness, our own willingness to, you know, to do whatever we have to, to advance ourselves and our families. Like that to me is like the biggest idol that we have. It's, it's ourselves. And so to remind ourselves that we are not the ultimate authority. We are not the end all be all. We have to say God is God. And we are not. And um, the reason why I say it so much is because I need to hear it so much. Not just because I need to tell everybody else, but because me as a preacher, I always say, you know, we preach to ourselves when we preach to anybody else. Is that we only preach things, or we should only preach things, right, that are convicting in our own lives. And that is one of the most convicting things of my own, is that I need to put God in the primary authority as opposed to Woods. Yeah, Absolutely. Before, I have one question I want to ask you, well, more than one, about uh, a piece of your sermon you quoted, St. John the Cross. Anything else you want to talk about, about the ideas of Richard Rohr or the implications of kind of his line of thought oh, yeah, to this pretty yeah. powerful prayer? So the idea of cosmic Christ can be taken in so many different ways because it is unlimited, right? That's the whole point of it, is that God is unlimited, so God can reveal God's self and God does things we can't imagine. One of the ways in which um, Rohr talks about this, the implications of that, the, the cosmic nature of the Christ, the preexistent, you know, person of the Trinity that is God, is that the incarnation of Jesus is an example of God becoming incarnational. But the original incarnation itself was when God became incarnate in creation and doing the act of creating. And because Christ was with God, the word was with God in the beginning. And you see this invitation in this language of this, um, this, this poem in the early Hebrew scriptures in Genesis one, that, that there is this entity that is making things is creating things that has these multiple ways of thinking and being, you know, of doing. And so there's the, the we say now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In his book, The Divine Dance, um, Rohr calls it, in the beginning was the relationship. As opposed to just saying, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning. It was just kind of this idea, like, in the beginning was this three persons of God. And the cosmic nature that is a Christ is becoming, in a way, incarnate in the way in which they're participating with the creation experience. And so, though we know the fullness of God in and through the person of Jesus, I fully believe that because I'm a Christian and I believe in the resurrection and I believe that God became incarnate in the human Jesus. 
we can't deny that we also experience God. You know, sometimes people say, when I go in nature, I feel God, or I hear, you know, the wind, whatever it might be, that we can experience yeah. God in other ways. Christ is the fullness of that expression, and we know God fully through Jesus. And we also experience God in this creation which God has given us, which Christ was a part of because Christ is God. And so in the incarnation, we have this, you know, remembrance and this, you know, this beauty that is God present with the creation in which God created. It, I said the word creation a lot. <laughs> well, I, I, I could see how, but it's not a far stretch in my mind, even my practical mind um, to, to think about creation through this lens of the unknowable God. And yeah, a lot of people, if you, um, if you encourage people to get out and experience God in their own way to experience the, what are the exact words and the, He's looking at the Bible right now. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth. So Jesus embodied that for us when he came down as what that looks like as a human being. And certainly he interacted with the environment, but it makes total sense for those that want to get out in nature or just experience everything this world um, that God created has to offer. Um, Mm -hmm. And God can be anywhere in that. It's just... Yeah, the presentness, yeah. and and we talk now about it as the way in which the Holy Spirit is leading us to those things, and the grace the Holy Spirit gives us, and and that is also a person of the uh, you know of the Godhead of the Trinity, and so it's the Holy Spirit that is helping us see the fact that God is in these things, that God is is present with creation. So when you watch the sunset, or when you go to the mountains, or when you go to the beach, whatever it might be, and you say, "I just felt God there," or "I just sensed God," it's because God is present with the creation which God created. That's a pretty cool thought that. It, with the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to you don't have to go to an expected place or an expected time. Certainly, there can be reoccurring themes for mine or anyone's individual prayer life, but I, I've certainly experienced that. Experience the Holy Spirit in a very unexpected way yeah, or yeah, place for sure, and that's just really cool. And that just speaks into this prayer that the author has for the church of Ephesus mm-hmm. and this way of thinking of understanding God and creation and understanding that God created these things and cares for them has perpetuated a, a you know, a line in theological and theological discourse and, and in practice about, um, what pe- a lot of people call creation care, which is why I'm so proud. You know, my brother-in-law is an amazing person. He went to seminary, he went to Duke, he, you know, but he's um, not in the traditional ministry role that you think of as a pastor. He did do some pastoring for a little while. I didn't ask him to say this. So, if he's listening, I'm proud of you, buddy. But he um, he said this from the pulpit before. If you're listening, so it's, keep going. Okay. Well, he, he he you know he's he has an organic farm because he believes in sustainable agriculture, um, not because of profit or because it's the popular thing to do right mm-hmm. now, um, because there's this thread throughout Scripture that God created and God cares for creation and that we are stewards of creation. And so, how do we honor that? And so, how do we raise animals in a way that is humane and um, sustainable? How do we treat the earth in a way that it matters, you know, when God called created the earth um, in that first Genesis creation account in the in the first chapter of Genesis, God invites the earth to participate in creation, right? So God says, um, "Let the earth bring forth." Let the earth. So God is actually not doing the bringing forth. God is yeah. inviting the earth to do the bringing forth, and kind of 
creating this this idea um, of participation in creation. And it's through this lens of like cosmic Christ indwelling incarnation, part of the creation that we then get this thread of we should care too, and not just abuse that which we've been given. And that's why I think it's so cool what he does as trying to honor that. And he's really dedicated his life to living that out. Got a master's in theology from Duke University, right? This you think, oh, you can do whatever you want, you know, the master's from Duke, right? And and he chooses to to use that in, in a way that's just beautiful. And yeah. not that everybody's not using their things in a way they're beautiful, but it's unique. You don't hear about that as much. And that's why I think it's so cool. Like you take this thread that you just believe in scripture and say, you know what, that's how I want to live my life. Yeah. That's pretty cool. The concept of going all the way back to the cosmic Christ, relating it back to God being there in creation and then cultivating uh, the world we live in. It's a cool, but we, we mentioned that briefly before the podcast about how that can be very inspiring, but recognizing that can be a polarizing, inspiring, but double-edged sword about just the way in which we read scripture, whether it's this one, um, seven verse prayer or others, uh, scripture to me, it just speaks to the power of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, that does not have to be everyone's interpretation of this scripture. If you're reading it in a way that is life giving, um, and loving to others, that, that, that doesn't have to be the conclusion you come to, I think. Right. Yeah. Our social realities are completely, you know, meshed and mangled with our theological realities, which it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it has implications to it, right? And so when you talk about creation care, it, it sounds like you're saying, well, I have this agenda that I need to push because my political and social views are this. It's like, no, I, I just I read scripture in a way that makes me want to care for right. the earth. I'm not out to go and change anybody's politics. I'm not out to go and change anybody's minds and say that you are bad for if you don't. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is how I see God calling me to read this to understand these texts and what it's you know meaning for my life. How do I honor what God has created? Because God is incarnate in the creation itself by being present with creation. Yeah. It can be just life giving. It doesn't have to be polarizing, but right. um, especially with such a powerful topic mm-hmm. yeah, that, that sure. should be so, so wide. So one thing that I believe you kick off the part of the sermon that folks will hear in a minute, you met, you quote St. John the Cross, who I also don't know much about. Um, but the quote, uh, I'll just butcher the quote from memory or maybe me writing your notes about God can't be known, only loved. And in, in love, we find a new way of knowing. Mm-hmm. And you called that experiential love. Did I get that right? Yeah. Experience is a new form of knowing, right? So we think of knowing as a cerebral activity that we can reason and rationalize. And that's what creates knowledge and which is not, you know, far fetched. We do it all the time. Anytime you read a book, you learn something that knowledge goes into your my brain and, and it's just, then you know it. Right. However, um, this passage in particular says that he hopes that we learn that we know the love the, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something if it surpasses knowledge? You can't know anything that's unknowable. And so Saint John of the Cross, who was a um, you know we're quoting two Catholics today after having a whole conversation about uh, the Holy Catholic Church last week, he was this author um, right around the time of the Reformation, kind of reacting to the Reformation in a way as far as. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not specifically, I don't know if you're specifically reacting to the Reformation, but when you read it in light of the Reformation, it's kind of a stark contrast because he's bringing forth this idea of, of mysticism, a mystery, which is experiential. You can't know things that are mysterious, right? That's the people are afraid. I think of mystery are afraid of mysticism because it's so far outside of our bounds of rationality of the way we like to think. And so it seems like if anything is mysterious or if it's mystic, it is not true. It is falsified. It is not, not real. Um, yet, God exists in a reality that is beyond our knowing. And if that's true, then it's, myster- it's mysterious. It just is. And mysticism, and so he, St. John the Cross was a mystic, and Richard Rohr is a mystic, and mystics have this bad connotation because it sounds like we're talking about like witchcraft and wizardry, mm-hmm. like Harry Potter or something like that, but we're not. We're talking about just the fact that we believe in a God that is not that it that became incarnate as a human, but ultimately as a being beyond our understanding. Yeah. And so if you're going to interact with something like that, with a being like that, then you have to have some sort of like mystical experiences. So anytime, um, technically anytime you pray, right, you're involving yourself in some sort of like mystical experience because you're praying to something that's not like you can't see or touch or, or you know, be there present with it. And so St. John of the Cross is saying in this way of knowing God, it is not this cerebral knowledge it is the experience of love. And so to because God is love, when we want to know God, we experience love. And in experiencing that love, we come into this new way of knowing, this experiential form of knowing, which is really powerful, really weird, <laughs> really scary in a way, because it's so different than what we do. Um, and when we experience the way we show love to others, we are experiencing or, or giving off, giving to others the way in which we've experienced the love of God in our own lives. And that's beautiful to me because, again, it opens up the possibility to more. And, you know, my conceptualization is not being the magnitude to which God can exist. Like God is so much bigger than we are. God is so much more because God is God and we are not. I mean, I came back to it again. Mm-hmm. There I go. But but this idea that through this experiential love, we become in more communion with God, which then helps us know God more. Does that make sense? Maybe not. I mean, well, I guess technically it can't make it, full it sense. It doesn't make sense. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> it, it can't make sense because that's the whole point. It's just such a powerful verse. And as I reread it before a podcast, and, and I don't want to read it here because I really don't think it has the same effect, but Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21, uh, as I reread it and just pictured the author says, for this reason, I bow my knees before you and just, even though I listened to your whole sermon on Sunday, I just had a completely different view of it. And when I started, I was like, wow, this is just a really concise prayer that the author is just genuinely wanting you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We've talked a lot about the words surpasses knowledge and understanding, but what he is wanting you to know is the love of Christ. Mm. And it's just yeah. so, I just had a very devotional, as we talked last week, uh, versus critical reading of it about how passionately in the midst of the epistle, and he talks about Gentiles versus Jews, but it's it's almost, to me, I haven't read on to chapter four thoroughly because I'm, I'm trying to stay stay with you. Uh, it's, it's almost not an aside, but such a, a powerful prayer uh, in the midst of the epistle to the church. 
um, that is just, it's, it's a very devotional reading for me to it's, I can, I can almost feel, uh, the author wanting me as the reader to experience that and having maybe in the past few years, what having one or several experiences where I just really felt God working in my life or, and I don't know, an indescribable feeling in my heart that I'm just like, wow, that is, that is a, when you can feel faith, uh, I just pray for that for anyone listening, anyone in our church. Yeah. And you can tell it's being written from a person who's experienced that and just wanting that love for other people to be able to feel that. Yeah. So just such a cool prayer. It is. And, and you said something that I wish we had time to take this whole different train of thought because it is a big thing to unpack. But it's things worth at least rushing real quick is you said to, to, to feel the experience, the, the kind of experiential way of doing it invokes feelings. And I think there are two kind of uh, opposite views of, of opinions um, when it comes to feelings and emotions, uh, particularly in worship. And... Um, there's a, a, a line of thinking that says emotional experiences in worship are not genuine because they're manipulative and people try to contrive something so that you feel something. So then you give this response by whatever your response might be, coming down to the altar, bowing your head, raising your hand, whatever that might be. That, that That is a genuine concern. I do think people can manipulate experiences to try to you know solicit some response from somebody that then helps their, you know, bottom line. Sure. And I never want to do that ever. That is not my goal as a, as a worship leader, as a preacher. I don't want to like manipulate somebody into feeling something yet. I also don't want to deny the fact that emotions are part of our human being and emotions are very irrational in the same way that we can't know and understand our emotions. We can't know and understand God too. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's gotta be some connectedness to that. The fact that through these emotions, we can't understand or explain. We experience a love we can't understand or explain. And so I do believe in genuine experiences that emotions are elicited and feelings are experienced through worship and through interactions with the divine. Um, and I never want to discredit that because I myself have experienced that a number of times and it is, it is, you know, incredible. It is just feelings and experiences that you cannot put into words. Just in the same way you can't put the love of God into words. Yet, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that sometimes people are just trying to see how many people they can get raise their hand or see how many people they can get to, you know, feel a certain thing so that giving will go up. And it's a fine line. It's a tension, right? You don't, you don't want to discredit it, but you also don't want to, you know, use it as a, in like a predatory way. Yeah. No, you, you said that, um, part of your job or responsibility is to have a, an atmosphere where people can come experience the Holy spirit, um, and just be really with God there. I've, I've felt that myself in our worship service. I, I was, thinking and, and recalling experiences outside of worship. Um, but I, I've had more inside of worship. It's almost, it's, it's why I enjoy going to worship is that weekly reconnect that may be deeper emotionally some weeks than others. I don't think that's wrong or right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it's a recentering of again, the cosmic nature of God in our lives and just kind of resetting your center. Yeah. I, I mean, when we come to worship, it's just, I, I, felt, I hope I wasn't rude or mean when I said this in the sermon, but it's not my role to be your teacher in, in the worship service. I do think I am a teacher as you know, part of my pastoral duties are to teach. And I think I try to do that in Bible studies. And I do think I do communicate knowledge in the sermon, right? I don't want you to leave thinking like, okay, I don't remember any of that, right? There's a, there's a cerebral aspect to it. However, that is not my goal. My goal is to help create an environment where people experience the Holy Spirit. 
And that sometimes is not about, you know, how many points that I hit, how many nuggets you taking with you, how many words are you underlining? Not that any of those things are bad. I just think that that is not, you know, our primary objective in worship. Our primary objective in worship is to have an experience with God, have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't have to be this cerebral learning of knowledge. And, um, and I said that in a sermon. I don't know how people experienced that. I hope people didn't think I was saying that other preaching is wrong or bad. I don't believe yeah. that. I just, for me personally, my role is to try to help people, to invite people into that space to experience God, and not just to give you, you know, the one, two, three things that will make you a better person. Right. No, I think that's important. I, I didn't didn't come across negatively negatively to me, but you've shared that thought with me as well. Yeah. So, I very much enjoyed the sermon this week. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the last six minutes after our podcast yeah look hey i feel like we've covered a lot of things we want to cover and we're at the 30 minute mark which is what we were aiming for this week so um this has been fun i hope y'all are enjoying it uh, please continue giving us feedback it, for, if you have questions just email me or text us if you have our cell phone numers um i'll put todd's cell phone number all over social media so anybody can get it i'm just kidding i won't do that he's not gonna do that <laughs> He'd be in high demand. I'd lose him. As well as I'm, somebody, some big time producer, you know, doing these podcasts and be like, oh, we need Todd. I got a cell phone number now. That guy. I can get him. That guy, random guy from Mobile. Um, one of the things somebody did say, though, was thinking about ways we can end this podcast as opposed to just like signing off. Are there, um, you know, answer questions from people or um, last thoughts or reflections or previews next week? And so what I just want to say is I'm, I'm excited about this coming week and Sheila's going to be bringing our word. Ooh. It's going to be from Ephesians chapter four. Your response to that was <laughs> really funny. Ooh. What? I like when Sheila preaches. We all like when Sheila preaches. We're pumped. And I get to play in the band, which is exciting for me too. And But um, Ephesians chapter four, we're talking about um, living a life worthy of your calling. So go read Ephesians chapter 4, get excited, um, get yourself kind of prepared in the mindset for worship and what's going to be um, the word being brought. And um, she's going to be out of town next week, so she won't be able to join us in the conversation. So we're going to reflect on her sermon. She's given us permission um, to kind of talk about how we both have experienced the word she brings next week. Okay. So if you have reflections on um, Sheila's word this coming week, just let us know because we'd love to be able to, you know, um, share that with her and, and, and talk about it together. So thank you all for checking us out. Hope you have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Let me just mean it. In the 15th century, said, God cannot be known, but only loved. And in that love, we find a new form of knowing. God is love. And God loves us. So when we love God, we come closer to actually knowing God beyond our human conceptions. We cannot fully know God, but we can experience God. This love is not a rational thing. Love in general is not a rational thing. And I can talk about that from lots of decisions I've made since I've been married that I would not have made before because I'm in love. Love is not rational. And the ways in which God loves us don't make sense. God forgives us when we don't deserve it. God gives us grace when we have messed up. God continues to love us when we don't even love God. It makes no sense. There's no rationality to it. There's no way to explain it. It is beyond compare. It is beyond our imagination. God is love. God loves us. And in this love, God, who was the Christ, became a human and came and died taught us how to live 
showed us the way in the kingdom. So when we come to worship each week, the reason why we're here is not so that I can teach you more. This is not me being a teacher session. My role as a preacher is to help create an atmosphere where we can experience that love together. I'm not here to fill up your Jesus bucket so you learn a couple nuggets that you can write down and leave here and tell everybody about with your tweeting. I tweet too. I'm here to help make sure that in this time and in this space, we experience something that is unknowable. We know something that we cannot understand. We experience the love and the grace of God in ways that we've never experienced it before. And that won't make sense sometimes. Sometimes we won't be able to explain it. Sometimes we won't be able to tell people, this is what it is and let me tell you how it works because it just can't be understood because God is cosmic. Christ is beyond compare and beyond knowing. So what are you bringing with you today that is limited to your own experience? What do you have here in your heart? What are you struggling with that you say, I can't get over this? What have you done that you do not feel can be forgiven? What has been done to you that is still hurting? I'm not telling you letting go of things is easy. I'm not telling you moving on will be automatic. I'm not telling you everything's gonna be perfect tomorrow. What I am telling you is that there is no breadth, no height, no length, no depth to the love of God, and that nothing can separate us from it. So if you think this is just who I am, this is all I can be, you are so wrong. If you think, you know, this is as far as I can go in my Christian faith, I've understood everything I know that I can understand, I've got God figured out, you are so wrong. If you think I can't be loved, if you think I can't be forgiven, If you think nobody cares, you are so wrong. You are so loved by God that doesn't make sense. And there's nothing more than God wants to know, to let you know. He is love and you are loved. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are moving in our lives in ways that we cannot figure out, in ways that we cannot understand. Help us to let go of our desire for rationality. Help us to let go of this this ordered mentality that has to have things a certain way. Help us to know that you are beyond compare, that you are beyond imagination, that you are beyond anything that we could ever understand, conceptualize, or imagine. Thank you for being our God. Help us to be your people. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.